has harmony, but that's just about all we have. Suddenly, a little harmony, and the poverty's not so bad. Then we were poor as sin in Berlin. We were patches on our pants, but we had mercifully. Now, us, we dance. Believe it or not, I was a rabbi before all this started. Hello and welcome to Broadway Radios, this week on Broadway for Sunday, November 19th, 2023. My name is James Marino, and in the broadcast today we have Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier. Peter is a playwright, journalist, and historian with a number of books. His new book, Brain Teasers for Broadway Geniuses, is now available wherever finer books are sold. Peter has columns at Masterworks Broadway, Broadway Select, and many other places. Hello, Peter. Hi. Peter, so uh, I, I did not ask you about this before we got this going, but uh, the Brain Teases for Broadway Geniuses, uh, is there any way somebody can get a signed copy of this? Uh, <clears throat> you know, I, I guess if anybody wants to send me one, I'd be happy to autograph it and send it back. Um, that's, yeah, do, we, uh, do we have anything down at uh, Drama Bookstore? That's not until March 26th, but that is happening. But maybe could we get you down there to sign a few copies before oh, sure. the holidays? Yeah, absolutely. If, 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 um, uh, as readers know, I always love to meet them, and um, we always have a good time. So, uh, so sure, anything like that can be arranged at any time. Excellent. We got, we have a lot of people coming in for the holidays. I'm getting yeah, lots fine. of emails. I'll be here. I'll be here. Lots of emails. So if uh, you want to get signed copies, uh, hook up with Peter. His email address is in the show notes. Also with us is Michael Portantier. Michael's a theater reviewer and essayist. He's the founder and editor of castalbumreviews.com. He is also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. You could see his photography work at followspotphoto.com. Hello, Michael. Hello. Michael, can we get a signed copy of castalbumreviews.com? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> Somebody can send you their laptop and you can sign it and send it back to them, you know. <laughs> Gosh, if someone printed it out, I don't know how many pages it would be. It's thousands mm. of reviews. It's the newest thing, printing it on paper and binding it and selling it in a store. We could do that. <laughs> hey, what a concept. <laughs> that is a concept. So, uh, speaking of concepts, uh, there is a guy, his mm. name is Steven Schwartz, mm. and he's had a number of concepts for very popular shows. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we, and there is going to be a celebration of Steven Schwartz, Michael, right? Yeah. And I, I mean, uh, I had not heard a word about this until I, it suddenly popped up in my email or wherever, just a few days ago, uh, celebrating Stephen Schwartz, Monday, December 11th at 8 p.m. at the Metropolitan Opera House. The Met presents a special benefit concert in celebration of the 75th birthday of Stephen Schwartz, uh, Oscar and Grammy Award winning composer. Uh, and then it gives all his credits, which go on for quite a while. Uh, stars of Broadway, Hollywood, opera, and popular music come together to give performances of Schwartz's greatest hits in tribute to his decades of artistic achievements and ongoing contributions to musical theater. 
Proceeds of this special event support the Metropolitan Opera and featuring performances by, are you ready? Shoshana Bean, Angel Blue, uh, the great opera singer, Kristen Chenoweth, Anthony Roth Costanzo, also from the opera world, Cynthia Arrivo, Raul Esparza, Sutton Foster, Nick Jonas, Alex Newell, Leslie Odom Jr., David Phelps, Ben Platt, Paolo Schott from both the opera and musical theater worlds, mm-hmm. uh, Janine Tesori, Adrian Warren, and Trisha Yearwood. Uh, uh, and tickets, Miss Trisha. <laughs> tickets were available uh, from actually from twenty seven fifty, which is what I paid because I went to the box office and avoided the fees. I think that the very lowest prices are not available anymore, but you can still get in for. Uh, as little as 40 bucks. Um, I think that's kind of amazing for that kind of a lineup. Yeah, that is, uh, that is quite the thing. So we'll have a link to the Metropolitan Opera's website in the show notes so that you can uh, get on over there and uh, perhaps purchase tickets to this, uh, this benefit for the Metropolitan Opera. So that's great. Also want to let you know that uh, coming up for Patreon members, uh, for Broadway Radio Patreon members, Matt Tamanini interviewed Stephen Schwartz uh, and to talk about the Prince of Egypt and a bunch of other things. Uh, and that is coming up hopefully this week on Broadway Radio. I don't know exactly when Matt plans to release that, but he did talk to Stephen la- the, during this week just that just passed. So uh it's our broadwayradio.com slash Patreon or patreon.com slash broadwayradio. Yeah, because that's so, the other big news is that there's now a, a film of the uh, the uh, the London production, I guess, of Prince of Egypt. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to seeing that as well. Yeah, so much, so much, so much stuff happening in London there. That's uh, uh, been in the news, crazy stuff. Uh, uh, the, you know, Gwyneth Paltrow musical based upon her ski accident is coming to London. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure how they keep, do those crazy productions, but they do that. I just read Lena Hall's doing cabaret in London. Hmm. Uh, some, uh, really great stuff going on in London there. Is she well. playing oh. the MC? <laughs> it's a no one issues. person cabaret. Uh, uh, I don't know what Lena is. I playing. assume she's. I assume she's playing Sally. Are we mm. joking here? I don't know. Uh, no, I, I really. Um, <laughs> yeah. I was serious. Let's see. Lena Hall. Lena Hall. I. Is she a little too old for Sally? Maybe. Maybe she's. She wouldn't be. Frontline cost, would she? No. Definitely. No. Well, uh, <laughs> that'd be a real throwaway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Let's she wouldn't be Schneider. She wouldn't be Schneider. So, I assume she wouldn't be Schneider. No. no. Lena Hall. Oh, I think I have it wrong. It's okay. uh, oh. it's a concert in London. I see. I, I thought okay. that so she was doing cabaret. cabaret in essence. I, it was cabaret uh-huh. in essence. So she's doing a concert in London. Oh, okay. So, uh, <laughs> All right, May, we can cut that. May twenty seventh. <laughs> ah, you know. I'm okay here. <laughs> Any mention of Lena Hall is a good mention. <laughs> so, oh, Paul Witte is mentioning that uh, the Stephen Schwartz thing was in the Patreon feed uh, this past week. Oh, so great. it's already out. So I haven't listened to it yet, but uh, 
you know, we try and try and try to get Stephen on and we can't get him on because Sunday morning, but, you know, Matt calls up Stephen, gets him right on for an hour. So, (laughs) well, we were successful that one time. Uh, Yeah. For a few minutes. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. But, you know, Sunday morning's tough, especially the cold, cold, bitter fall. (laughs) Wonder if he still plays tennis with Alan Menken in the winter. Ah, you know, if they uh, have an indoor court somewhere, both of them are successful enough to probably have an indoor court. (laughs) I would think, yeah. Although they do live right by the, uh, there's uh, an indoor tennis uh, club in Ardsley, uh, right by where they live. So I used to belong to that up there. So first up, Peter and Michael got over to the Ethel Barrymore Theater to see Harmony, a new musical. Uh, at this point, can we still call it a mu- new musical? I mean, Harmony's been mm-hmm. bouncing around for so, <laughs> so long. Uh, so, Peter, tell us about this uh, transfer of Harmony to Broadway. Well, when I saw it last year, I thought it was terrific, and I still do. Um, it's a wonderful show. It's a very serious show, in essence. And <clears throat> I um, I hope that it's commercial enough to last for a long time especially for Chip Sign, who is magnificent beyond belief. Um, he's the narrator of the story, and he tells the story of the comedy harmonists, comedian harmonists, I should say. And um, they were a group in Germany, and um, they had the misfortune to be Jewish at the wrong time in German history. And as a result, little by little, by little by little, we see how this group um, must uh, break up, uh, not by any decision of their own. They do make a very stupid decision at the end of the first act, but that decision uh, does make sense on a certain level that many of us really are drawn to our homeland and we want to be there no matter what. Mm-hmm. So I understand that, um, and so many times people really don't see bad things coming politically. Uh, I think we can certainly understand that at this point in time and uh, as a result um, they just turn a blind eye i mean not all of them a lot of them see trouble coming but nevertheless what really really happens is that uh, they um, just make the wrong decision and um, they will pay dearly for that decision very well done very well designed very well choreographed all that goes with that it's a terrific production and i really do hope that it finds an audience and i really do hope that chip sign wins a tony it's a little early in the season to be saying that but um i certainly have been a fan of his since 1978 when i saw him in in trousers with the just starting out mary tester and the just starting out allison frazier and the just starting out chip sign and Um, and the just starting out William Finn doing the sh- uh, the music and lyrics, uh, which caused me to come home and called every human being I knew to talk about how wonderful it was. So, um, so it really is a tremendous performance by him. And uh, certainly Barry Manilow and Bruce Sussman have given him the material. Music's wonderful. Um, terrific to listen to. Um, and when they are funny, they are very funny. Um, and uh, so it's, it's a backstage story in many regards but it's also a front page story as well so what's really interesting too is that so many of the people playing the harmonists are making broadway debuts and um i don't think that we've seen the last of sean bell or or eric peters or blake roman or stephen telsey um i think we're going to see a lot of these people as time goes on which is really quite wonderful what's really so interesting to me is the title page of the playbill where they list all the people who are in the show and there's this and julie banco 
Isn't that something, you know, um, <laughs> that uh, she really deserves that type of billing now after what, uh, the sensation she made in Funny Girl. Um, to be fair, she is not the only person that gets an and. <laughs> it says, and Julie Banco and Sierra Borges, who plays the wife of um, one of the people. And um, certainly actually, it says it says with Julie Benko. And does Sierra it? <laughs> does it really? On my. Oh, I thought, yeah, that's what oh, I I thought it was yeah. and. OK, um, you put same point. Yeah, uh, that's boy. Um, the, the eyes play tricks. Um, granted, it was um, dark in the theater, but um, anyway, the point is, she, yes, she, she does get um, distinctive billing, um, and so does Sierra Borges, which is really nice because she really has a, a wonderful um, performing style as well, and certainly uses it to good effect. So uh, it it's terrific. Um, it I, I will say to anybody who's writing musicals, <laughs> look how difficult it is to get to Broadway. If Barry Manilow, with his mm. reputation, has this trouble getting to Broadway, um, it really is a miracle that anything ever, ever, ever happens. And um, keep that in mind. But I hope the miracle continues for Harmony and that indeed it's still around at Tony time and it's still very well remembered, especially for that leading man. So uh, Peter, Chip Zion has been a, a stalwart of Broadway back to his first uh, production, which was Ride the Winds uh, that played two days on Broadway uh, back in May 16th to May 18th, 1974. You didn't get a chance to see it, did you? No, I wasn't in New York then. Ride the Winds, ironically enough, is mentioned as one of the many shows that are mentioned in title of show uh, in their sequence <laughs> where they're going through playbills. Um, and uh, I, I, I remember vividly um, <laughs> when I first saw title of show, and it, it wasn't clear to me yet that that's what they were going to do, that they were going to name flop shows. And suddenly they mentioned Ride the Winds. And I thought, oh, gee, that's so funny. That's the name of a flop show. And, you know, I <laughs> thought that they didn't know that. They knew it. You know, so... Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, um, uh, that'd be fun to talk to him about next time I run into him and ask him about Ride the Winds. Let's see if we'll, I'll talk to the press rep, see if we can get Chip in to uh, talk with us one day. Mm-hmm. So, Michael, what did you think of Harmony? Well, I had a very unexpected reaction uh, to the Broadway production because I loved the show when I saw it uh, at the Museum of Jewish Heritage, um, as Peter did. And at the time, I I loved it, and I told everyone I loved it, and I recognized that there were some flaws in the show, but they seemed very, very minor to me. And on Broadway, I had almost the opposite reaction. I, For some reason, um, the flaws became all the more apparent to me, and they, and they really... Um, worked against my enjoyment of the show this time out. And uh, ironically, um, the, I, I don't have a very, very clear memory of the off-Broadway, so I can't track every change that they made. But it seems to me that that the changes that they made that I noticed were for the better. Uh, for example, in the off-Broadway production, there was a moment when Chip Zion appears in drag as Marlena Dietrich. Um, we should say that in addition to playing, uh, his main role is Rabbi, the uh, one of the um, members of the group who, uh, and one of the, well, uh, one of the the longest survivors. After afterwards, we we see him. The framing device is that he's talking to us from 
more or less the present day uh, and looking back uh, on what happened and telling us what happened. And by the way, um, we we have to mention his younger counterpart uh, is played by Danny Kornfeld, who does a beautiful job with that role, including the incredibly gorgeous song Every Single Day, which uh, many people have recognized as a highlight of the score. Uh, but anyway, in addition to that main role of Rabbi, Chip... Um, appears as other characters through uh throughout and one of them actually one of the best scenes in the show i thought is uh that he plays albert einstein uh who comes backstage uh to see the comedian harmonist and speak with them after one of their performances and um he really kind of sounds the you know the alarm of of what um you know what is how bad things are looking like they're going to become in Germany. Uh, and that's a, that's a really, really great scene and he's fantastic in that. But I thought it was a bit too much to have him as Marlena Dietrich. And I think I'm sure I said that actually when I reviewed the off Broadway show. So I'm glad they made that decision to cut out that bit. Um, but I don't know. I don't know what other specific changes have been made for some reason. The construction of the show um, seemed a lot more scattershot to me this time. There were also some weird things that happened where um, uh, something really bad happens. Uh, You know, some we hear or see, we hear of or see some really horrible example of anti-Semitism. And then after that, they do a comedy number. Um, And so you can't really respond to the comedy number because you're still thinking about what happened. And then um, there's a, a, a very notable moment where um, at the beginning of one of their performances, uh, just before the song begins, we see a, a, a Nazi officer in full uniform walk down the aisle of the theater uh, and take his seat with his uh, lady friend um, in the front row of of the actual theater you know i'm talking about they're in the actual audience of of the theater of the ethel barrymore and um then again (laughs) they do a light comedy number uh and you're like what is happening here uh now it then turns uh, out that the reason he's there is because what happens during the number is um two uh anti-semitic toughs start catcalling and and disrupting the performance and shouting from the audience as well and that nazi officer stops them because he says this is outrageous this is not you were not told to do this um uh so it becomes very effective at that point uh that he's already in the audience but i found it very distracting that that he was sitting there and uh because you couldn't enjoy the number so um I, I'm yeah. Again, I, I don't. I I wish I could. Um, I don't know. Maybe I can find a some kind of a tape or like copy of of the show off Broadway so that I can eventually try to compare them. Because uh, I, I, I was surprised that I had that reaction. Um, Warren Carlyle di- directed and choreographed this show, and I really think he's very talented. But maybe he's another example of someone who is more talented as a choreographer than a director, and maybe someone with a little more experience in directing book musicals uh, 
might have made something more of this. His other credits include After Midnight, uh, which is not a book musical, Chaplin, which was not a hit, uh, Finian's Rainbow, uh, which was a really excellent revival of, of that show, I have to say. Uh, also, Hugh Jackman on Broadway and The Tale of Two Cities, another flop. Um, so possibly that that's one source of the issue here. Um, I'm still going to highly recommend the show because I, I do think there's a lot of really wonderful stuff in it, including the score, um, the music and the lyrics, and and the performances of which uh, Chip Zion certainly is is right at the forefront. But all of those other people, Sean Bell, Danny Kornfeld, Zal Owen, Eric Peters, Blake Roman, and Stephen Telsey as the comedian harmonists and everyone else in the supporting cast. Uh, so I do recommend it, uh, but I, I just have to be honest that about my reaction to it, which again was a, a big surprise to me. So Michael, uh, I haven't seen the Broadway production, but I saw the off-Broadway production. Mm -hmm. I sort of remember that happening with the Nazis coming down to sit. Uh, oh, I'm not, no, I'm, I'm not saying that didn't happen off-Broadway. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm oh, sorry. No, I didn't okay. mean that that was an addition. Uh, oh, okay. But, yeah, but there again, uh, uh, somehow it didn't bother me as much off-Broadway. Hmm. Uh, I, I I can't. And I, um, someone told me, uh, do you remember, Peter, that the Josephine Baker song is new? Do you remember if that's correct, if that's <clears throat> Happened I can't Broadway. say that I recall a Josephine Baker's song downtown, so I guess it is, yeah. Yeah, and that is that was another weird thing because um well, Act Two opens with uh we see a projection on the wall saying Carnegie Hall, I think the year was nineteen thirty-four, and Josephine Baker is performing with a comedian harmonist. And we had previously uh, seen them meet her. Um in uh, either Paris or Germany. I don't remember where it was. But now we see them performing. And then at the end of the terrific number that they do, Chip Zion comes out and says, no, 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 it never happened. We we went back to Germany. Um, so <laughs> so that was a, I don't know if you call it a bait and switch or whatever, but that was another weird moment, I thought, that we see this terrific number and it winds up to be a a fantasy sequence. Hmm. All right. So uh, that is Harmony, uh, which is playing at the Barrymore right now. Uh, we'll have a link to that in the show notes. Peter and Michael also got over to the St. James to see uh, the revival of Spamalot. So, uh, Peter, tell us uh, what you thought about this new revival. Uh, <clears throat> well, it's not for me at all. It's not my sense of humor whatsoever. I have to say that the audience was crazy for it, just crazy, <laughs> crazy, crazy for it. So as a result, um, I do think that it's something that a lot of people are going to get a great deal of pleasure from. So um, the one thing I will say is the cast is really, really terrific, especially Leslie Rodriguez Kritzer, um, who plays um, the part that won a Tony uh, for Sarah Ramirez some years ago. I won't be at all surprised if history repeats itself as she plays the Lady of the Lake. Um, <clears throat> really a tremendous performance in terms of the fact that she really um, has so many 
wonderful facial expressions. It may be worth buying an orchestra seat just for her um, to see her. Um, she <laughs> she has a wonderful style in playing this over-the-top character. Of course, everybody's over-the-top in this. So nice to see Ethan Slater um, be essentially the narrator, uh, the historian, as he's called, uh, and plenty of other parts, too. Uh, we may remember him from SpongeBob SquarePants. We may not remember him from the that it was so long ago that the Palace Theater was operating, but uh, but uh, we also have some favorites of ours, Christopher Fitzgerald, James Monroe Englehart from uh, Aladdin, Michael Yuri, wonderful, wonderful performance. Everybody's giving his all. There's no question about that. Uh, and if you like Monty Python, I think you'll be pleased. It is a pretty close um, approximation of the film, as I recall the film, which I watched not that long ago. So um, I was... Um, pretty much in tune with uh, what had gone on there. Um, what also has to be said um, that's really um, quite amusing, um, that Josh Rhodes' uh, direction and choreography knows exactly what it's doing, and the projections are really, really quite impressive. Hmm. Um, and um, this guy, um, Paul Tate the third. I mean, I, I'm, uh, that last name um, amazes me, but he, that's what he uses. And um, apparently there were two other Dupus before him. But anyway, he is doing <laughs> marvelous work. Um, this is not the only show by any stretch of any imagination where I've looked and I've said, my God, who's done these protections? They are terrific. Um, he did Gatsby, I'm pretty sure. And uh, which are really quite wonderful, too. So I think, really, he is turning out to be um, the uh, dean of projection people, uh, as as well he should be, because they really are. It's, it, it's, I, it seemed to me a much more dazzling look to the production that I recall in the Schubert uh, low those many years ago. Um, so anyway, what it really comes down to is that if you like Monty Python, you're going to have a good time. I mean, you know, they, they make fun of a Broadway musical style song and always look at the bright side of life. Yeah. Frankly, I think it's a good song. I like it a lot. Um, and I know it's a parody. I know it's a spoof. And, um, yeah, the, um, the golden age person that I am appreciates this on its own level. And, um, I think it's a terrific song and I know that they're mocking, but I don't care. So um, it's a good second act opener as well. So crazy. That audience went crazy. And good <laughs> luck to them. I'm delighted they had a wonderful time. I'd much rather they have a good time than agree with me. Okay. Michael, what did you think of Spam a lot? Well, first of all, I think that this is one of those cases where they, they are mocking something, but also they have great affection for it. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think the audience responds to always look on the bright side of life as a really great song as well. And they certainly whistle along when they're supposed to, <laughs> um, even before they're asked to do so. <laughs> uh, so uh, don't you think, Peter? Maybe. I'm not as convinced of that as you. Oh, OK. Well, I mean, that's it's hard to answer that definitively. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, and uh, as far as the projections, I completely agree. I raved about this production when I saw it in May at the Kennedy Center <clears throat> with um, largely the same cast. And I think that the uh, the qual the quality and the uh, the, the ex extensiveness of the projections, I think, has been upped uh, since then. Um, and they really, really are terrific. By the way, um, there's a voice of God thing that happens. 
And I remember um, at the Kennedy Center that there was no credit in the playbill, but I immediately identified the voice as Harvey Firestein. And now uh, I would not have been able to identify it, but someone in one of the reviews must have asked because they said it's Steve Martin. Did yeah. you know that? <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, so that's a little fun bit, but really, I mean, uh, um, I think the main point I want to make about this is what an incredible amount of comic musical comic talent we have currently. Uh, I mean, these people um, in this production since the Kennedy Center, Ethan Slater has replaced Rob McClure and Taryn Killiam has replaced Alex Brightman. I mean, they're all A-list, you know, as far as musical comedians. And and not only that, but as we've mentioned, Alex Brightman will be joining this production uh, in about a month. Is that right? Uh, when yeah, June, uh, when January. When the shark, um, uh, shark closes this weekend, doesn't it? Yeah, shark closes today. Uh-huh. Right, and I can't think. Of, what's the title? I can't think of it at the moment. The, uh, the show he's going to uh, be in. No, the show that's closing today. It's the shark. Uh, shark is broken. Shark is broken. Thanks, broken. Rob. Rod, Rob Johnson. Thank you. Yeah, the shark is broken. Yes. Yeah. Um, so my point is whether you get to see, uh, I, I hope you get to see the spam a lot and whether you get to see it with, uh, Taryn Killiam or Alex Brightman, you will not be disappointed because I've seen both of them and they're just amazing. Uh, as is everyone else in the cast. Uh, I mean, I, I, am such a fan of Michael Yuri, um, but also Christopher Fitzgerald, James Monroe, Eichelhart, who, uh, I believe was a guest on our podcast once, wasn't he? Yeah, yes. we've, yes. we've had James on. Um, and uh, the amazing Le- Leslie Rodriguez Kritzer, who I've followed uh, since her early days when, when she was just Leslie Kritzer. <laughs> That's how long ago it was. <laughs> we've um, had Leslie on too. Yeah, yep. Yeah. And um, yes, and Ethan Slater is Jimmy Smagula, who I really have to mention. Uh, he, he's always terrific in everything. And this fellow um, Nick Nick Walker, um, mm. who plays uh, <laughs> pr- primarily uh, Sir Dennis Galahad, um, he, he is really really fantastic as well. Um, there's uh, and I I just think that I remember uh, praising Josh Rhodes uh, through the roof when I saw the show at the Kennedy center. And he is an example of someone who on the basis of this show, he's uh, equally talented as a director and a choreographer, because I just thought the comic timing and the whole tone of this show was absolutely 100% uh, where it should be. And the audience response, which Peter mentioned is a testament to that. So yes, I think the only people who won't love this are those who don't respond to that brand of humor to begin with um i never thought i was especially into it but um i i don't know i just think it's so well done here and in the original production which was directed by mike nichols um you know talk about comic genius um so well done that that uh and it helps to have um you know 2000 people around you in hysterics <laughs> uh it kind of you know it's very it can be very infectious um so i 
loved it and i i'm i would have predicted uh, and i think i did predict when i heard that it was coming to broadway that it would be a big hit uh, the reviews have been uh really stellar from what the few that i read so i was very happy about that and um i think it's it's a good show for this time of year um however wonderful harmony may be obviously it's it's um you know it's very dark um in in places and so um some people just might not be in the market for that kind of a show and might only want to look for silly fun and that's what you have here so if my memory serves me correctly which doesn't always happen <laughs> i'm pretty sure you said that you said those things when you saw it in Washington, before it was even announced for Broadway, you said this is going to come to Broadway and this is going to be a huge hit. I think, yeah, I think I so. Think, so I'm not yeah. always right, but sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Broken clock twice a day. Yeah. So. Well, maybe a little better average than that. <laughs> a little bit better. <laughs> okay, so that is a spam lot at the St. James. We have a link to that in the show notes, and you can check it out there. Um, Michael, you got in the Michael Mobile and headed to the Signature Theater in Arlington, Virginia, just outside of Washington, D.C., to see a production of Ragtime. So Tell us about this. Well, I alas have no actual Michael Mobile, so it was Amtrak for me. But <laughs> but nevertheless, we call that the the Michael train. <laughs> That's right, the show train, <laughs> the express, the Michael Express on the twenty first century. <laughs> um, I love Ragtime, so and I have loved almost every show that I've seen at Signature, so I had to go. Um, they, uh, it's it's probably their largest production ever um the only one that maybe came close was titanic which was also phenomenal when they did that a few years back mm. um but yeah uh and actually at uh, the performance uh that i attended the woman who played emma goldman uh came out after the curtain call and and basically basically said um <laughs> you know we're losing money on this show so if so um feel free to uh, donate and then she told people how they could do that uh it really is admirable uh because you can't do i mean i guess you mm, i guess you could try to do an intimate production of ragtime but i just don't think it would work it has to give the feeling of um all of these people in this melting pot at the beginning of the uh 20th century and and you have to feel like the the epic sweep of history um even though the 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 action only covers a few years uh all of that is i think really essential to the show and i i for one would not really want to see it without a large cast and a, and a large chorus and a large orchestra uh all of which mm. are present here uh Phenomenal um, performances um, from mostly from people who I'm not familiar with. Uh, Father Bill English, Mother Teal Wicks. Well, I'm familiar yeah, with her. Yeah. yeah, and she was she was fantastic. A mother's younger brother Jake Lowenthal, whom I've seen in a few shows down there. Grandfather Lawrence Redmond. Um, 
Cole House Walker Jr. There's this incredible guy named Nkrumah Gatling, N-K-R-U-M-A-H Gatling. Uh, and he was certainly, his performance was as good as, if not better than every other Cole House I've ever seen before. He was um, very good at um, portraying the arc of the character who starts out as a uh, a kind of a um, feckless uh, musician, uh, piano player. Uh, and we're supposed to think that he... Um, that he treated Sarah uh, very badly in one way or another to the point where she left him and then had their child and then actually uh, desperately uh, tried to kill the child because she was in such a desperate situation. But then the child gets saved by mother and, um, and then everything else happens. (laughs) Uh, So that's how he started out. And then we see him, maturing as he tries very hard to get Sarah back, which he eventually does. And they have a few brief moments of happiness before um, racist Irish thugs, in this case, uh, trash his Model T Ford. And uh, he tries to get justice for that and is denied justice at every turn. So he becomes a a terrorist, basically, um, and forms his own provisional government he calls it and gets other people to back him up on that and winds up occupying the morgan library uh which is an actual location in Manhattan and is still there you can go visit it if you want um and then um there was uh i i i i cried several times during this production the first time i started crying was when um after mother finds the child in the garden buried in the garden and she takes it and then a policeman shows up and and they ask what's going to happen to to sarah and they said uh they say uh well, you know, she likely will go to prison and, and what will happen to the baby? And they said, well, he'll probably go to a foundling hospital or uh, an orphanage. And and there's a pause in and there's a moment of silence. And mother says, I will take responsibility for mother and child. And it's absolutely heartbreaking and, and so moving because it's if she did, hadn't said that. Um, you know, there would have been no show and nothing else would have happened. That would have been the end of the story right there. But the fact that she steps forward as, you know, a white woman in 1906 or whatever it is and and uh, agrees to, to do this incredible thing, it's um, it's just a beautifully written show uh, based, based very faithfully on the novel by E.L. Doctorow and with an amazing, incredible, phenomenal, peerless score <laughs> by Stephen Flaherty and Lynn Ahrens and a magnificent, skillful adaptation of the book by Terence McNally. Um, so this really was uh, amazing. Let me finish with the cast. Sarah, just the best Sarah you could ever want. Awa, Sal, Seca, Booker T. Washington, Tobias A. Young, and Tata was Bobby Smith, whom I've mentioned. I, I know him for 
probably 35 years. Um, he started out at Don't Tell Mama uh, um, as a performer there, and now he has become a real star of Washington theater. I, I most recently extolled his performance as um, the male lead in Fun Home at another theater in Washington, the Studio Theater. Uh, he's in um, like every other show down there, I, I, it seems to me, and and that is fine because he's really absolutely terrific. And Tate is another great, great role. Um, so I was happy. Uh, I was happy to see him in this, and I probably would have gone if only for that. Um, I, you know, the cast is so big, I, I could go on, but uh, I think you've got the point. Terrific, terrific production directed by Matthew Gardner, choreographed by Ashley King, music directed by John Kalbfleisch. Um, and they have long runs at the signature, so you have a while to get to it. Uh, if if you, uh, I, I urge you to hop on a bus or Amtrak, or if you have a car, uh, to get down there. And the the uh, the other thing is is that on top of all that, the ticket prices are quite reasonable compared to Broadway. So it's um, a win win situation for everyone. And I'm so glad that they did this. Uh, and I really appreciate that Signature did this, even though it's costing them a bundle. So that is uh, Ragtime at the Signature Theater in Arlington, Virginia. We'll have a link to that in the show notes. Uh, and what a great endorsement, Michael. Just uh, Well, it's terrific. It's just terrific. You can also see um, clips on YouTube. That'll give you an idea of how fantastic it is. Michael, this may sound like a strange question, but mm. <clears throat> I, I do have a precedent for it. And that is, was there a car? Oh, yes. Um, the car was far more uh, elaborate than the one that was in the Broadway revival. Huh. Because um, Paper Mill actually did a production where there was no car. Yeah, I remember that. Yes. The so. the car can be extremely expensive, and this one looked expensive. Uh -huh. So thank you for mentioning that. That's an example of how they have gone the extra mile here uh -huh. to just give you a magnificent the only negative thing I would say is I would have liked a few more violins in the orchestra. Um, so <laughs> we always maybe, want that. <laughs> yeah. So maybe it'll, you know, who knows? Maybe it'll come. Maybe it'll come. It's so fantastic. I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if somebody gets behind it. Wow. That's something. Hmm. So uh, ironic about the paper mill thing, because paper mill was always noted for having such uh, beautiful, yeah. elaborate sets. Yeah. And right to right. cut that for the ragtime production is so uh, you know it shows the ebbs and flows of running a large regional theater uh but it sounds as it sounds as though that a uh, signature is uh can be almost described as the lincoln center of uh of the middle america states you know? i would say so and you know that brings up an interesting point i imagine that um I imagine that once someone creates a car for a production of Ragtime, that they can farm it around to other places, you know. Um, but just like, so, yeah, s sets uh, do get uh, stored and reused and rented at, just like costumes do. Uh, so funny about, you know, seeing various productions uh, of things that have been on Broadway and, and somebody will be like, oh, I'm wearing Donna McKechnie's yeah. outfit <laughs> right, for right, this, right. Yeah, you know? Yeah, 
uh, it, it, it's so wonderful to see those things. But uh, I, I assume that that, you know, it's tougher with the physical dimensions of various theaters. I, you know, uh, I'm going to make a huge leap here, Peter. Uh, but one thing that always made me crazy about baseball yeah. is that uh, the way that the stadiums are so different and the distances to the outfields are so different. So, you know, home run leaders might be in a short field like the uh, mm-hmm. uh, left field in the Boston Red Sox, Fenway. Or uh, uh, the right field in Yankee Stadium. The right uh, field. Yes. Yeah, that's often been said why Roger Maris broke uh, Babe Ruth's record in 1961. Because, yeah. indeed, that short right field line, I think, was 290. Um, so, uh, <laughs> yes, uh, there are a lot of factors that factor into, uh, things like that, but, uh, it is true. Yeah. So if you have like a King and I set for Lincoln center, it's not going to fit in a lot of other, uh, a lot of other theaters right. that might do a King and I, but, right, right. you know, you try to get that, uh, those generic, uh, pieces, especially a, the car. I, I guess the big thing with the car is storing it backstage for that, you know, a couple sure. of minutes that it, that sure, it is sure. on stage. Sure. Um, and, Wayne Bryan and uh, music theater of Wichita certainly did a lot of, uh, buying and selling, renting and all that, um, dealing with sets and costumes. So, um, I, it's one of the reasons that theater stayed afloat and was prosperous. So, uh, it is a good idea. Those of you who are running theaters out there, yeah. So my point is, I mean, I, I don't know if they built this car from scratch or if they got mm-hmm. it from another theater, but either way, it was yeah. just beautiful. Sure. Sure. If only we knew a board member from the signature uh-huh. theater. <laughs> we could ask them that question. If only we knew someone. <laughs> if only we knew somebody. All right. So uh, that wraps it up for ragtime. I am actually going to try to get down to see this with my wife. Oh, I hope uh, so. In, uh <laughs> in the near future. So we'll let you know if I get down there. So Peter, you got over to um, ART New York uh, to see the New York reps production of war words. So tell us about this. Well, this is uh, reminiscences from um, people who have served in Iraq and Afghanistan during the wars. And as you would expect, there would have to be some harrowing monologues and harrowing scenes as people talk about what happened to them while they were there. And usually in a show like this, there is humor. Um, And I would say in this type of show, this show works much harder to provide humor than many others of its ilk. So it's not going to be a, a nonstop pity party by any stretch of any imagination. And certainly you do come up with great respect for the military, which is the point of it. But what I'm trying to say here more than anything else is they do have an awareness of entertainment value and they do want you to be entertained as well as moved, as well as shocked, as well as... um bringing tears to your eyes. So um, it will happen. So if this is something you want to know more about, uh, how people survived or didn't survive, uh, you hear stories from people who did survive, telling of their friends who did not survive. Um, There's a lot of talk about post-traumatic stress syndrome, and um, certainly there's a husband and wife team that has a lot to say about that. And um, that's a very harrowing part of the show, I would say. Beautifully produced, beautifully directed, beautifully acted. It's just a tough show on many levels, as you would expect if you're walking to a show called War Words. So 
Um, if this is the type of thing you want to know more about, by all means, get to 10th Avenue and 53rd Street. But do understand that as much levity as um, can be found here, uh, what you'd also expect can be found here as well. Okay, so that is uh, War Words playing at ART through December 17th. We'll have a link to that in the show notes. Uh, Michael, you got mm. over to, was it Carnegie Hall? Uh, yeah, that little, seventh- that little club, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Michael, how did you get to Carnegie Hall? <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> um, I I I got there by walking, but there was a song in it in the in what I saw <laughs> called "How Do You Get to Carnegie Hall?" Um, a little bit of special material because this was the New York Pops with special guests Sutton Foster and Kelly O'Hara, uh, and uh, one of the well the. Uh, director and writer of the show was Dick Scanlon. And Mm -hmm. one of the pieces of special material performed by Sutton as a solo was called, how do you get to Carnegie hall? Um, So they figured it out. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so did the, uh, everyone in the audience. Uh, I'm sure that a, a tremendous percentage of the fans of both women were in the audience on the evening in question and it was rapturously received it was really great they um they modeled the show uh they well they said it was inspired by the uh three concerts that julie andrews and carol burnett did over the decades uh let's see the first one was in carnegie hall at in 1962 the second one was in the 70s at uh, what was then called actually then it was called philharmonic hall it was before Mm -hmm. even before it was called avery fisher hall and of course now it's called david geffen hall um and then the third one where was the third one was it at the met lincoln center i believe uh or lincoln center i think that was even in the title i think Oh yeah, so probably the New York State Theater. Mm-hmm. Is that I what you mean? Know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, anyway, well, they they did. Um, yes, they did those three uh, specials, and uh, and what's interesting there is um, that I know, I know many people have always thought of the uh, the Carol Burnett and Julie Andrews pairing as so unusual. Mm-hmm. Um, from the beginning because they're in 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 many ways they're 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 so different in terms yeah. of style of performance and and their their the quality of their voices the timbre of their voices and etc cetera, etc cetera. but uh, magic happened with them um uh and especially in terms of the the blend of their voices i think if you listen to those recordings of of those three concerts or or watch the videos um their voices blend so beautifully and much better than you would ever have thought they would have but i guess that's a tribute to their musicianship and the same here uh, i mean i i i think we all think of kelly o'hara as having a very different type of voice than sutton foster but they listen to each other as they're singing and the harmonies are gorgeous and Everything was just fantastic. The, there was a lot of wonderful humor in in this concert. I'm not I'm sure how much of it was scripted and how much was ad lib. I think most of it was scripted. Um, uh, by the way, Kate James is 
uh, credited with additional writing uh, in additional to Dick Scanlon. And Eric Scotto uh, was the choreographer because uh, there were also four dancers featured in a couple of numbers. Uh, Dan Lipton was the music director for Kelly O'Hara. Michael Rafter was the musical director for Sutton Foster. And Stephen Reinecke was, of course, the music director and conductor of the Pops. Um, so it was uh, a really, really fun evening. Um, it started with, <laughs> ironically for me, it started with an overture of um, selections of greatest hits <laughs> i guess of sutton foster and kelly o'hara and the very first song is was gimme gimme which i cannot stand that song <laughs> I, I don't know what it is i have always it sets my teeth on edge i hate that song uh but and that's from thoroughly modern millie but that then it went on to other wonderful songs in the overture and then sutton and kelly came on and the first a song they sang together was of all things real life girl mm. from uh little me little me uh and you know which is starts uh, pardon me miss but i've never done this with a real live girl <laughs> yeah. and they even had a, a very passing lesbian joke in there uh but i i thought that was an odd choice i love the song uh i thought it was an odd choice so um the the show didn't start out all that well for me, but then it just went from one terrific thing to another. Um, they then did a duet of Great Adventure, the song Great Adventure from Kimberly Akimbo, with a ukulele leading the song and then the whole orchestra coming in. Uh, then Kelly soloed on What More Do I Need from Sondheim's Saturday Night and So In Love, which, of course, she sang on Broadway in the most recent revival of Kiss Me Kate. Um, then there was some, uh, banter based on the Julian Carroll, uh, patter from their Carnegie Hall concert. Um, and Sutton, uh, then soloed on that song I mentioned before that special material, how do you get to Carnegie Hall? Uh, then Kelly came back and the two of them, the, this was so interesting. They did a duet version of fable from the light in the piazza mm -hmm. uh that that incredible aria at the end that victoria clark did such an amazing job with in the show and you would not think of that as a song that first of all could be taken out of context or that could be done as a duet but it was terrific just fantastic um act two opened with um the only actual number from one of the julian carroll specials and it was the big d uh from the most happy fellow which was a production number in their carnegie hall concert and um that's where the dancers that i mentioned came on and they were featured um then kelly um soloed on the, uh, the song which i guess the title of it is to build a home from the bridges of madison county um then we got there a real wonderful surprise they these ladies went to the extent of getting julie and carol to record their voices and uh and really speak to them over the you know over the sound system basically and they did it as if um uh you know they recorded it in such a way that they would say something and then kelly and sutton would respond so it did seem like they were actually there and it was a conversation although it was only a recording but um 
I I really think the audience loved having those voices, those iconic voices of those two women uh, to mark this occasion. And it was so lovely because it's so obvious how deeply Sutton and Kelly Revere, those two women, Julie and Carol. Um, then they did a 90s medley, which was a, uh, uh, you know, uh, 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 remarking the fact that Julie and Carol had done lengthy medleys in each of their TV specials and, and concerts before. Um, and the, then uh, there was a pop song that's kind of came out of nowhere. I could drink a case of you that Joni Mitchell song. Um, then Sutton soloed on meantime, which is a, a, a song that Carol sang solo in the car in the uh, Carnegie hall concert. Um, then the end of the show was uh, Here's to Life, that wonderful song. And I'm so glad we had this time together, Carol uh. Burnett's theme song. And the encore was Till There Was You from Music Man in a really wonderful arrangement with the ukulele coming back to lead the arrangement of that. Um, so it was in, let's see, it was in, uh, I guess it was in, still on four four but it was a very different arrangement of the song that i've ever heard and it uh it worked just great with ukulele leading it so um it was a very special night and uh what might have seemed an, an unusual pairing of people worked very well very very well just as it did <laughs> with julie anders and carol burnett in those three major events Wow. So the the incredible shame of this is that it's uh, it was a single night. Yeah. Uh, uh Michael, you, did you spy any cameras? Do you think that this could have been no. recorded? Yeah. I don't think they do that for those shows. I I think that they may they may record them archivally, but I don't yeah. think yeah. I wonder if they've ever discussed um trying to do that and maybe working up uh, an arrangement with, with great performances. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Channel 13, yeah. you know, WNET. That would that would have been amazing cuz both of these women have legions of fans. Oh yeah. Uh, you know. Um uh, yeah, I don't know. It would be love to see Judy Garland at Carnegie Hall um on that famous yeah. night in 1961. Um <clears throat> that would be something to see. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So, uh, that, as I mentioned, that was a one-night-only thing. We'll have a link to that in the show notes back to the Pops and the Carnegie Hall website uh, that kind of outlines all the different songs that they did and some musical notes there. So, Peter, you got over to Playhouse 46 at St. Luke's to see Make Me Gorgeous, our last review of the morning. So, tell us about it. Well, uh this is a story of a, a, a it's a bio a play, really a one person play, but uh, it does deal with uh, a gentleman who had a very uh, difficult life with his mother and um, she was, she wanted a girl. It's one of those stories that she wanted a girl. And um, as time went on, uh, he certainly did everything he could to uh, see that she got her wish. Um, the play is written by Donnie. That's 
um, he does admit in the playbill that um, his name is more than just Donnie, but um, that's the official thing. Donnie Horn, H-O-R-N is his name. And he is taking um, information from uh, Kenneth Marlowe, who uh, wrote a number of books about his life. And um, one was Mr. Madam. And that was the fact that um, while he started just essentially being Suzanne's phone, that he eventually uh, started um, a service where men could meet other men um, in this time long before the internet. We are talking about um, the 40s, 50s, and 60s, um, mm-hmm. the, the time frame of this play. So um, so that's what the show's about. And um, it's also about 90 minutes now that we're talking about um, what it's about. <laughs> Wade McCollum plays him, and he is excellent. Excellent. Um, he, he has the audience in the palm of the palm of his hand, and it's really wonderful to see him unapologetically up there, uh, talking about the life that Kenneth Marlowe had, and never goes over the top. It would be a very easy show to become uh, screaming and all that. No, no, it's really for something like this. You know, it's really got to be considered subtle. I mean, I, I, Lord knows there are going to be plenty of people who would go and say this isn't subtle at all. No, it's not subtle in the sense of what you hear. But what I'm talking about is the performance here, that he never overdoes it. Um, he's playful, but he doesn't uh, hit you over the head. He doesn't underline things. He just tells the story of this, and he's a natural entertainer, and he's quite funny. Again, it's a very gay evening, and some of the details are quite graphic. No question about that. But um, it is successful on its own terms. And um, I think it'd be nice if Wade McCollum were remembered at awards time because he is doing a fine job in a way that a lot of people would not have been able to do or restrain themselves from doing. So that's what I liked about Make Me Gorgeous. Okay. So Make Me Gorgeous is playing at Playhouse 46 at St. Luke's uh, through December 31st. We'll have a link to that in the show notes. So that wraps it up for today. Before we get on to our brain teaser and a musical moment, I want to remind everybody that you can subscribe to these broadcasts by going to the front page of broaderradio.com. There's a subscribe link that we each and every time we have a new episode of This Week on Broadway, it'll be automatically downloaded to Apple Podcasts. Of course, you don't have to listen to us on Apple Podcasts. There's many ways to get us. You can get us on Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Broadway Radio to get all of our podcasts early and uh, help support Broadway Radio and all the different work that we're doing and all of the podcasts that we are producing. Contact information for Peter, for Michael, and for me can be found in the show notes at broadwayradio.com, as well as links to some of the things we've talked about today. So, Peter, do you have an answer to last week's brain teaser? Well, you know, last week's brain teaser was quite controversial, I have to admit, that I'm um, very sorry for the uh, controversy that I inadvertently stoked. Um, I certainly um, had good intentions, but anyway, uh, let me explain exactly what was going on. The question was, um, if you look at the first, sorry, the first was a musical about Jackie Robinson, a baseball player who wore a uniform with the number 42 on its back. What musical theater character wore a baseball uniform that supported the number 33? Well, 
I, I maintain that if you look at the first record cover of Damn Yankees, you'll see that Gwen Verdon is wearing a Washington senator's uniform with 33 on it. Now, the thing is that that cover wasn't used very often. Uh, I'm sorry, for a very long period of time. They realized that um, it was turning people off, and so they decided to put her in a sexy <laughs> um, outfit, and uh, suddenly ticket sales were doing very well. <laughs> but anyway, um, but it has been reissued with um, that cover uh, because now Damn Yankees is a hit, and so what's the problem? So Cheryl Hodges Selden was the first to get it, but Josh Israel said Joe Hardy. And when I said Joe wore number two, he sent me to the 1994 Revival cast album where there's a picture of Joe indeed wearing 33. So he was right. I wish my buddy Richard Adler, who co-wrote the score, were alive for more reasons than one. But I would like to ask him if they put 33 on the back as a tribute to Burden. Also saying Joe Hardy, an answer I must accept under the circumstances, with Tony Janicki, J. Aubrey Jones, Hal Morgan, and Brigadoon. So uh, I apologize for the the vagueness, um, and I hope it won't happen again. This week's question, it was a musical that had one title during its two out-of-town tryouts, and not a title by the time it reached Broadway. Despite the title change, it never lost having a title song because the composer-lyricist who wrote the score had written two songs that just so happened to serve as this flop's title, no matter when anyone saw it. What was the musical's first title and the second title, which, of course, are the names of the songs, too? Okay, if you have an answer for that, email us at trivia at broadwayradio.com. We'll let you know if you're on the right track. So, Michael, what do we have in this week's musical moment? Well, we have two selections from Harmony, which I I really do wish the show well, um, in spite of the criticisms that I made earlier. Because, as I said, there's a lot of very, very wonderful stuff in it, including the score by Mary, Barry Manilow and Bruce Sussman. So our opening number uh, for the podcast today was the title song, uh, speaking of title songs, Harmony. And the closer is that gorgeous ballad, Every Single Day, uh, sung by Danny Kornfeld. Uh, and I really do think it's a highlight of the score. And I'm, I hope you'll agree after you hear it. All right. So on behalf of Michael Portantier and Peter Felicia, this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to your Broadway radios this week on Broadway. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Every empty night to regret a life that could have been. Maybe you were right. Just forget that emptiness within So if you'll go Before that moment's gone Look at me the way I'll remember every single day From now I don't know what the man I'd love to be. That's not the way it turned out. No, you fell in love with me. Everything you doubt, I will fight for every single day. 
pointed out Make it right for every single day But this I swear And stake my life 